Where in the world is Natalie Sisson? This is episode 62 with The Suitcase Entrepreneur. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock Podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible businesswomen. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. What's going on, ladies? Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast. Today marks another great week of women in podcasting. So it's no secret that I really enjoy podcasting, right? (laughs) I absolutely love this platform. I'm so passionate about it. And I love shining the light on other women who are also totally rocking it in the podcasting world. And I could not be happier or more excited to be able to share the story with you about Natalie Sisson of The Suitcase Entrepreneur. She is super passionate about helping people find freedom in their lives. And she does this by offering books, offering products, offering communities, um, and masterminds and coaching and opportunities for people to really learn what it takes to build out the systems, the products, and build out what they want in their lives so that they can have the freedom that they want to truly have adventure, much like Natalie does, obviously, Suitcase Entrepreneur. She travels a lot during this conversation. She was in Barcelona, Spain. She's also the host of the Suitcase Entrepreneur podcast. And obviously, as a fellow podcaster, I really dug into that and really found out what podcasting has truly meant for her business. Natalie truly does live what she preaches. She is an adventurer. She's all around the world, and she incorporates her business into that very successfully and teaches you how to do the same. Her lessons are incredible. So let's get rolling. Natalie, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited because I absolutely adore the whole business that you have created and the lifestyle that you have. I am like a freedom junkie. I'm a traveling junkie. And um, I absolutely love what you stand for and what you've built. So I'm so excited to dig into your story a little bit more and to share with the Business Women Rock community what you are doing and how you've been doing it. So Um, I want to start first because you have had extensive travels all around the world. You are somebody who's very adventurous and and runs a very, very successful business at the same time. So I would like to know a little bit about what your background was. Like, who were you as a kid? And, you know, were you always this adventurous? What were some of your values as a kid growing up? It's so funny, actually, because I was thinking back to when I was a kid. I was quite shy. Um, I was definitely determined, but my sister was always the one going down the biggest slide or running over to the roller coaster and going, let's go. And I was always a little bit less sure on that. And then I noticed I was talking to her about this in New Zealand over Christmas. And I said that I ended up becoming the big adventurer. You know, I was the one who cycled six and a half thousand K down um, the continent of Africa. And I was the one who used to love going on the roller coasters and throwing myself out of a plane, skydiving and bungee jumping. So it's something I think I grew into as I gained more confidence, but I've definitely always been independent, free spirited, and just a big lover of travel. And I really credit my parents for that. They're both from Europe and they used to take us traveling, my sister and I, since we were really young. Wow. That's wonderful. My parents were the exact same way we had. There were six kids in my family 
And, wow. you know, we, my, I remember they used to like shove us into an RV and we would just go and like drive out to California or go drive <laughs> and see family in Chicago. And I, I got very used to just like up and go, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there was never, there, it never mattered about money. You just like went and you figured it out along the way. Yeah, that's pretty much how I've gone ever since, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what kind of professional history did you have? So, you know, you've always kind of been this traveler, you know, this adventure. You definitely like grew into that. But what was your professional background so we can kind of set up, you know, your your particular business? Yeah, and this is a great question because I'm actually from the corporate world. I didn't dive into my business at a young age. I didn't do it when I was coming out of university. I didn't come from an entrepreneurial family. And I think that's really important to mention because when I started my business and finally went solo, I was like, who am I to do this? And nobody else in my family's done this, really. And, you know, am I cut out to be an entrepreneur? So I'd love to say yes, um, I am. And it's great to kind of go through that journey yourself. But my background definitely was in the corporate world. I went to university, I got two degrees, and then I was pretty much that person who came out going, right, I want to work my way up the corporate ladder. Um, I knew that I liked marketing from university. There were many other areas, but that was essentially what I wanted to do. Instead, I went into recruitment consultancy, which I hated for nine months, quit my job, (laughs) went to a new thing, um, got a baseline entry-level marketing role. And every single thing that I've repeated in my life, I think during those eight years in the corporate world was whatever job I was in, I'd just master it as quickly as I could and do as good a job as I could and learn as much as possible, expand my role as much as possible. And in New Zealand, that was easier to do. Um, Unlike many other countries I've been to since, they don't pigeonhole you into you are just this person or you are just that. And often I think the flatter structure of the organizations and the smaller companies allowed you to just kind of expand your skills and try your hand at a lot of things. So I wouldn't say I was a generalist, but I definitely had You know, when I was the national brand manager for Schwarzkopf Professional Hair Care, I was packing boxes sometimes to go out to key clients, helping in the warehouse through to setting the overall global budget for Australia and New Zealand and the entire brand strategy. So it was a really cool mix of things. Um, And that went on, as I said, for, you know, just jumping up roles, quitting jobs when I got bored, traveling, coming back, getting a new role, talking myself into it. I was very good at talking myself into roles that I couldn't actually do. And (laughs) looking back, I think that's really helped me with my business because I really didn't have much idea when I started. But ultimately, if I think about it, I did. You know, I had eight years in the corporate world, managing teams, being managed, looking at how they ran their businesses and how they didn't run their businesses. Plus the technology company that I co-founded in Vancouver for 18 months, that was like my leap into entrepreneurship. So by the time I got to my business, kind of had about 10 years really of figuring things out and trialing and watching what other people were doing to apply to my own, my own endeavor. Well, let's get into um, you starting your own company. So what what was what was the jump? Like what made you finally say like, okay, I'm just I'm going I mean, you like you had said, really did not have a concept of of entrepreneurialism didn't really have that history. So what was it that made you step out and say, I'm going to start this technology company? Uh, well, actually, it was the final role that I was at in London, England, that pushed me over the edge. And I, if I really look back, I think I never really was meant to be in in businesses working for others. And I'm sure other people who can relate 
who are listening, um, I'm really good at a lot of my roles were very independent where I'd actually get to lead a strategy or lead a team or take on a new project or run my own department. So actually, I was kind of in entrepreneurial roles without really always realizing it. But the final straw for me was the, the one in London was a great role on paper, but turned out to be a disaster in reality. And it was just filled with bureaucracy, office politics, hierarchy, gender bias, all the stuff. And I was like, this is miserable. Like I didn't even want to get up and go to work in the morning. And that's very rare for me. And I'm not going to go into it too much, but I still can feel that kind of sense of pain, which is a great thing that keeps you away from ever wanting to go back to that. And so when I went to Canada, I literally, I fell into this role with my co-founder because he had had technology businesses before. And I really just pitched him and said, look, here are my core strengths. Um, and these things, and this is what I've helped in terms of marketing and branding and business development. And he needed that. And I needed his experience and, you know, founding development teams and getting finances and investors. So it was just a, a cool synergy that we happened to meet at a networking event. And we're both in that opportune moment of, you know, let's see if we can make this work. Um, and I feel really grateful to Daryl for that because I learned so much in the speed of <laughs> seemed like 18 months, lots of long hours, lots of coffee. Um, and really just bringing my skills to the table, but soaking up as much as I could in the interim in that business. Now, because it was your very first business, did you ever encounter any like, um, I don't know, like, like personal kind of uh, struggles as far as like, oh my gosh, I'm not, I'm not made for this, or I don't know if I can do this, or this is way too much because building a company, you know, and having a start and an end within 18 months is a very, very fast time. So, you know, what was, what was your kind of like emotional you know, mentality back then on being able to deal with a company for the very first time? Yeah, I'd like to say it was a roller coaster for sure, but I'd love to give credit to Daryl because he put in most of the funds for that business. I definitely raised finances, but ultimately I felt like I was very much an equal co-founder, but at the same time had put in less of the risk. So I was paying myself a salary. He wasn't. And that made it a little bit easier. Plus, um, I would just learn as much as I could from him and then try and bring as much of my skills to the table. But nobody really prepares you for it. Like, it's incredible to think you can build a business from nothing but an idea, which I found so exciting. And so there's days when you're just doubting everything. Why are we building this? How much money is going out, you know, going out of the door every single day? What's our burn rate? Why don't we have any customers? Oh, my God, these features are terrible. Who's going to use this? Like, just so many things that, that can cause you to doubt yourself and make you feel like you're failing and they'd often come straight after you just had a really great win like a, a client sign up or getting somebody on board or getting some more um, investors so I just found that whole process fascinating it was a complete roller coaster ride and definitely personally I often felt um, like who am I to be here what do I know about running a business um, what can I really bring to the table is this even going to work? Well, look at all our competitors. So I think that's a natural part of the journey. And that's when I started blogging as a cathartic kind of space for me to talk about everything I was learning, but also interview other women entrepreneurs on how they were dealing with, especially starting businesses in the tech industry, which is male dominated. And ultimately, that's what my blog is today. It's my business. But yeah, I think it it never stops. Actually, even as an entrepreneur, you'll probably know this, there's still days when even when you feel on top of the world, something will happen just to bring you down to earth or you'll feel like a big fraud um, even when you're taking that <laughs> next leap in your business and you'll be like, oh, who am I to lead this retreat? Like, oh, my God, all these people paid all this money to be here with me and what if I'm not, you know, if I'm not going to cut it? But ultimately it always works out. Like 
that's just you pushing yourself out of your comfort boundaries. And that's what I love about being an entrepreneur. And I can agree with you more. And you know, this, this podcast, honestly, is very much like my version of the blogging that you did, which was like, hey, in my entrepreneurial journey, there's got to be other women who go through this stuff. And I really want to hear those stories so I can learn and, and now I have the benefit of being able to share that with so many people. And, um, and, and every single one of them, whether they're, you know, brand new in business, or whether they've had their companies and been building companies for 40, 50 years, every single one of them says that exact same thing, Natalie, which is like, it is a constant emotional roller coaster. <laughs> On a daily basis, you can go have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And it's just a matter of being being able to, to ride the ride and really enjoy the the ride, you know? So, um, so yeah, it's very, very fascinating. Exactly. So, yeah. so what happened after 18 months? Why did this only last 18 months? And where, you know, t tell us kind of that <laughs> end story and then where you went from there. Well, the business luckily is going really well. They're actually the number one fundraising application on Facebook. But I had a great conversation with my business partner who kindly recognized that I was more passionate about my blog than the business. And by that stage, I, I actually was. There's only so much um, stuff that can go wrong or that wasn't working for us. Like I felt like we were technically pushing uphill. Sorry, this has become an explicit <laughs> podcast now, but I really, I really I gotta did that like, out now. <laughs> <laughs> I did feel like there were too many just things working against us and we weren't getting anywhere. And maybe that was me just kind of pushing as well that even though I was a co-founder of the business, I didn't truly feel like it was mine. And there were a few decisions that were starting to get made that I didn't feel I had as much sway with. And so also at the same time, and Daryl rightly noted this, my blog had become just such a passion. Like everything that I'd been trying with fundraiser, I was also trying on my own blog. Like as I was building our business on social media, I was trying to blog as part of that. And I started my own personal one to see if I could leverage that and just really was just trying to figure it all out. And I'm glad that I made that move in April to quit, but I really had nothing to go on. Like I literally quit with a blog a couple of readers, you know, really, I did not have a big um, audience. I had zero email list and I had nothing to offer. And I had like a couple of thousand dollars of savings, which in Vancouver gets you nowhere. And so once I quit, I was like, yeah. And then I was like, oh my God, what have I done? Like, you know, I've just walked away from a business that potentially has the ability to go really well, or maybe not, but I left everything kind of behind once again. And this certain, wasn't a safety net, but it felt more safe than nothing. So I just remember being at that point going, you know what? You always wanted to have your own business. Now's the time. There's no better time than now to just give this your best shot. And if everything falls to pieces, you can always go back and get a job. And the minute I said that to myself, I was like, no way am I getting a job. So I just took it and I was like, no, I'm going to make this work. Come hell or high water. Um, even though I had many nights crying and wondering what on earth I was doing. So that's actually ultimately how I got to that point. I kind of got pushed and shoved once again to do it on my own. Well, I love that you're talking about that because there are so many people who are listening who, you know, like they've got like one foot out of their corporate job or whatever, you know, business they're in right now and they their passion is somewhere else and, you know, it is very scary to really make that leap, especially, you know, as you're saying, like it's not like you were leaping into a business that was going full-fledged already. I mean, you were you were definitely passionate about it and you were activating it and you were, you kind of had a little bit of an audience, but it wasn't, it wasn't the robust business that was really producing for you quite yet. So what, what did you do? What actions did you take that actually got the ball moving for your business? Well, I hustled and I know people use that word a lot, but I honestly, that was just six months of pure hard hustling and, and even longer than that. I focused my 
my time and energy on one networking like crazy, um, building up all those relationships that I'd already had in the last sort of 18 months of being in Vancouver to leverage them and say, look, here's where I'm going. Here's what I think I'm good at. Here's what I can do for you. Um, just creating lots of opportunities to be able to get in front of the right people. And I did not get a client for at least five months. Um, also, I was just using the time to learn as much as I could about online marketing, not just blogging, but how do you build a community? What the heck is an email list? Um, how do you go about launching products? So when I wasn't out trying to sort of hustle to get myself known in the local community, I was trying to do it online. Um, I was trying to build relationships through social media. And also I was blogging like crazy just to better understand how to do it, get content out there and get more people knowing about me. So it really was just I just worked hard and I was in a big learning zone, um, learning and applying, learning and applying. Mm. And what kind of consulting gigs were you looking for? Like just to help people with, you know, like your area of expertise, like your marketing, like their marketing campaigns and things like that? Yeah, well, that was the thing. I didn't quite know what I wanted to offer. Like it's not that I had zero idea, but I really was a little bit hesitant and just hesitant as to, well, what is my special unique offering? Like, I know I'm good at this and I know I'm good at that, but would people really pay me for that? So I didn't really want to consult. Actually, I wanted to build a business I knew that was based around packaging um, my knowledge and information. But I did take on one client gig, which was to do with helping a startup in the space. Um, they were doing not crowdfunding, but they were doing Groupon. They were doing like a Groupon ripoff, which at that time everybody was trying to duplicate Groupon. Right, right. And they were really trying to harness and leverage social media. So I basically was introduced to them by a client that had been a friend and I'd been coaching on the side, but informally. And she really liked what I was doing and she really believed in me. And so she gave me this sort of shot to introduce myself. And I just remember sitting across them and going, yes, I can help you with your social media marketing and campaign and your business plan. And that'll be $2,000, please, which at the time <laughs> seemed like a lot of money to me. And and asked them for 50% up front. And they're like, why? And I was like, because that's what consultants do. And ran across the road with my check to actually bank it so I could pay my rent like it was a ridiculous <laughs> situation and I'll never forget it as well because I really was down to like $27 and you hear stories about people going oh I had five cents left and now I'm like oh now I know what that feels like but it was it was a really good reminder for me and so I only worked with them for a, this the completion of that project which was pretty short and I realized I just didn't like working for other people still even though they were my client it still felt like I was working for people so that's when I started running um social media boot camps and this was a big deal for me because I really stepped back after that client and went okay that didn't feel good yes it was decent money but mm. and now I'd have to go and get another client and another client and I thought no I want to be running I want to be in charge of what I'm running and these are my skills that I've learned and this is what I'm known for in this community so I'm going to put together some boot camps based on social media and I had no idea if people would come I had no idea if people would pay me for it I tapped into some government funding and three workshops later that were sold out and 15 grand in my hand. I was wow. like, oh, this works. I mean, that was a huge part thanks to the government funding, um, which they could kind of come along to it and not have to put up all the money. So I just charged, you know, a lot of money for them, put a ton of effort into it. And the minute I'd run those, I was like, right, well, this works. Can I turn this into an online program and can I just go traveling? And before I'd even answered my own question, really, I just booked a flight to Buenos Aires and thought, well, I'm just going to see if I can make this happen. <laughs> I love that. I love that attitude. Um, you know what? There's this constant theme in your life of I'm going to talk my way into to whatever new thing is out there and I'll figure it out along the way. 
So, okay, so now let's fast forward because then now it really became the suitcase entrepreneur. Now you have books, now you have products, now you have a, you know, membership. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the realities of what it takes to build a product, like a real viable product that people will purchase and that they'll get value out of? Yeah, it takes a lot of clarity, I think, on who your ideal customer is, what pain point they have, and how you're going to solve it, which is great for me to, me to be able to say now, but it took me years to figure that out because like a lot of entrepreneurs, I'd be like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I could do this? And then I'd go and create it and then I'd try and sell it to somebody that didn't know that they needed it, which is the worst way to do it. Um, and I see so many people doing this. I've got this great idea for a, you know, a melting ice cream vendor van. And I'm like, brilliant. Does anybody actually have a need for that? <laughs> and then you see people spending money on that or creating all these things for it and then putting it out there and just getting crickets. Um, which kind of happened to me actually, even though I'd run my workshop and I created this social media boot camp, when I did finally launch it, I put all this effort into videos and resources and talking over the top of my materials. I created a membership site, like all of this was learning. I, I invested on a pretty small budget, but I remember spending something like 30 hours putting these videos together and everything. And then I went and promoted it, which was just the total wrong way around. Like now I almost pre-sell everything to make sure that there's a desire and need in a market and that I've tapped into it properly and I've really delivered. And yeah, I just remember that whole crickets thing. Like I ran a webinar, which I'd never run. I lost my voice right before the webinar, just regained it enough and made one sale on this terrible webinar, um, <laughs> which was enough to go, oh my God, I've, I've cracked it. I've, I've created a program and I made one sale and I made a few more after that. And I think I bought in my first thousand uh, dollars. But really the effort required to launch that product and everything that went in behind it made me feel like I really failed. Because that was, you know, $1,000 for all those hours and all the effort was not enough. But I guess looking back, that was my first step into realizing how much it takes to really launch all the steps that you require. And it's just become more and more sophisticated and advanced with every single launch. But it's kind of hard to sum up in one conversation because I think you should start there. You should start by going, what is this need? What does this market need? Can I produce it? How can I produce it most effectively and get people to actually sign up and buy it before it's done and then go on creating something killer and awesome? Um, but that often takes hindsight and it takes a lot of trial and error to get in place. And then you come down to investing in better membership sites, investing in copywriters or creating better copy um, and better deliverables and integration with plugins and PayPal and Infusionsoft and affiliate partners. And that's just a whole new ballgame, but an exciting one. So can you give us sort of the roundabout, you know, 30,000 foot view as to what the suitcase entrepreneur is and what you provide? Yes, because a lot of people say, hmm, what do you actually do apart from living in your suitcase and traveling all over the world? And I often say I sell freedom, which usually they go, ooh, tell me more. But essentially, I have built up eight revenue streams for my business. Um, and those have all come out of my desire to help people create freedom of business and adventure in life. So my focus is always on what's your big picture for your business? How can you condense that into a plan, a plan of attack? And how can you use like online tools, social media and outsourcing to build a business that you can take anywhere? 
Um, so everything that I do is revolves around that. And the bigger picture is about how do I help people create more freedom? So I started off with, as you know, that, you know, the workshops and I still run them now and I've incorporated them into my travel on a world tour. I've created digital products and programs over the years. I've created, um, retreats that I've been holding this year. I have a membership site for high level entrepreneurs who want masterminding and mentoring. I do coaching one-on-one and also group coaching I have my best-selling book and I get paid to speak now and I also promote other people's products that I believe in or use myself. So those are the the eight revenue streams really across that angle, but they all are related to my mission. Um, and some of them are residual and some of them are very active forms of revenue. Some of them have a huge impact across a lot of people. Some are very, very individualized and exclusive. And I just love the whole dynamic of it and the multiple streams of revenue because you can you can put your focus and efforts where you want, depending on where you're at in business and life. You know, Natalie, whether you have one or a thousand products, um, doesn't really matter if you don't have an audience, if you don't have people who are listening and really want what you have. So what have been some of your best strategies for building up your audience all these years? Um, and then I'm going to ask you the, the flops. So, you know, what, what are the great things that you've done that have really helped you connect with an audience and, and um, helped you build your list and, and get in front of people? I would say to ask you a question, how do you build an audience and a community and, you know, fans that love you is to turn up and do the work and provide a ton of value. And I know people always say, oh, write epic content and give lots of value. But I think at the end of the day, it's about consistently doing that. So I see a lot of people doing a lot of the right things and then they disappear and then they come back and then they disappear. And I guess one thing for me is turning up and being there all the time, day in, day out, being somebody that people rely on, they trust, that's credible, that they know will be there. And you know, that's evolved over the years for me, but I have always attempted to be a leading learner whereby I will learn something and then I will share it with my community. When it was five people, 10 people or tens of thousands of people, I've always been very transparent and open and honest because that's my style. That's my signature, I guess. And I always expect from other people that they follow the path that allows them to be them. So if you're funny, if you're quirky, if you're straight up, if you're um, controversial, then put more of that into your work because it really starts to set you apart from other people. And at the end of the day, that's what builds a community. You build this little community, your tribe of people who believe in your vision and who you are and what you stand for. Mm, I absolutely love that. Now, I want to ask you during your journey, at what point did you jump into podcasting? You were a fellow podcaster <laughs> and that, you know, I'm so passionate about this space and, and this technology and, and what this platform really allows us to do and the people that we can really touch. Why did you decide to get into podcasting? That's a great question. You know what? I was once again figuring it out. So I was like, well, I like blogging and I like writing, but it is very time consuming and I'm doing videos and they're fun and I love being in front of the camera and it's kind of kooky and quirky, but you know, maybe there's this awesome audio field of distributing content in a different way that I'm missing. Um, I wasn't listening to many podcasts at the time, but I did like the medium and I thought, you know, it's easier as well. You don't have to be on video. You don't have to look good. <laughs> you certainly can just do it from anywhere. Um, and I like interviewing people. In fact, that's how I really started my first online blog. Women's World was interviewing other women, but it was always through blogs, posts. And so I was like, what about doing it in person or through just how we're doing it now? And I just found I had a real knack for 
digging deep into what people had to say and their story and getting the most out of them. So I started it very much as a hobby and just to see if I could offer another form of getting my content out there and reach another audience. And a bit like you now, it's one of my favorite platforms. It's an incredible, it's actually an incredible business tool. Um, it's built up a ton of trust because obviously, as you know, you're in somebody's ear for half an hour to an hour regularly and you're spilling out tons of value and knowledge and insights and people just really dig that and it, it, it creates a lot of loyalty and in turn it helps you to helps people to understand what you do and who you are and where your strengths are so it's been a great business tool but more importantly for me it's just that on, constant ongoing curiosity and learning that I get through my podcast is what I love about it and how much feedback and you probably get this too from people each time they're listening that's what drives me to do more. What do you think is one of the most surprising things that you've experienced because of the podcast? That's a good question. Um, I think actually having, this may sound strange, but having people come up to you in the street when they do meet you or at a conference and just going, oh my God, I love that episode. I mean, it's just weird to think that people, <laughs> that you are in their ears and how personal that is. Um so for me, it's been surprising how many more fans I've got out of it as a result and how many more male fans in particular, and that I've created a whole new audience, actually, because obviously it's on iTunes and Stitcher, but there's all these people who would never have heard of my blog or come to it had they not found my podcast. So that's been one of the surprising things that I, I had considered but hadn't really seen the impact of. I think it's so fascinating. One of the things that really blew me away, especially in the very, very beginning, was that all of a sudden I was being seen as this expert. And, you know, the, there are podcasts out there where there are folks sitting on the other, uh, you know, end of this microphone and giving great information. And that's the form of their podcast, which is, hey, I'm going to give you the 10 best tools on marketing your business online today. And then there are people like me who interview really phenomenal people who have great stories, who have amazing expertise. And I really get to shine the light on on them, and um, and so I I didn't even take into consideration that I would be considered in that equation. <laughs> I was like, I'm just curious. I'm like one of the I'm like one of the listeners here, you know. And this is really a, a wonderful treat for me. And all of a sudden, people were, um, you know, seeing me as this expert for everything. So that was a really interesting thing that happened because all of a sudden I'm like. We, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just like everyone, like I'm going through my own business journey and I love hearing these business stories. So I, I think that's a, it's a really interesting thing mm -hmm. that happens and you're right. It's totally intimate. Very, that's been incredibly, um, inspiring just how intimate of a platform it is. Mm -hmm, definitely. And yeah, I love what you've said there. It's funny because in some ways podcasting is quite selfish. Um, I started it because I was like, well, I want to try out this medium, but also I want to interview really awesome, exciting, amazing people yep. <laughs> and just glean as much information as I can from them. And at the same time as helping my community to learn, I get to learn. Yeah. I, so yeah, like you, I've, I've, when I was publishing my book, I was interviewing authors because I wanted to know more about the publishing and the, how they wrote their book and how they marketed it. And I also knew my audience would love that. But it, yeah, it was totally selfish in some ways. <laughs> I always tell everyone like, you know, during my interviews, these are like my own personal one on one coaching sessions. I'm like just sitting here listening, going, Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Oh, that's a great idea. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for giving me your time. <laughs> that's so cool. Uh. How have you, as you've been building, you know, your products and your company, what does that truly look like for you as an adventurer? I want to start with the fact that you're sitting in Barcelona, Spain right now as we talk. Um, <laughs> and I know that you, you know, do the workshops um, kind of all around the world. But what has that truly meant integrating your adventurous spirit into your business life? Because you, that's part of what you're showing people that you can do and what they can, is possible for them. 
but how does that truly look in your life? Great question. I'll answer it in two parts. I think from a business point of view, it's made me more real to people. So I live and breathe my business and my philosophies and my lifestyle, um, which is great. And I think it inserts more of you into it so people can really understand and buy into who you are or maybe think that you're crazy. Um, and on the flip side, it's definitely been a learning experience to try and mesh adventure and time off and doing fun things and being a tourist and traveling the world with running, you know, and growing a successful business. And it's not easy, but it's something that I really enjoy the challenge of. So I think it's been twofold. It's been really helpful for my brand and for building that community and making me more successful just by being me. Um, and at the same time, it's it's definitely been a great challenge to figure out what is that perfect kind of lifestyle and business combination. And I won't say work-life balance because I don't think that exists, but how can I absolutely truly live and breathe this um, and not just talk it, which I think a lot of people do, you know, you can work from a laptop on a beach and then they don't, or they work really hard all the time and they never take any time off. So it's been a great challenge. Now, through all of your travels, name one or two of your most favorite cities and why. I love, oh, cities. That's a great one. I really love uh, Lang Prabang in Laos. So Laos is one of my favorite countries in the world. It's, it really surprised me when I went there several years ago. It's the Mekong River running through. It's a very gentle, peaceful um, place and it has a magical energy, but that's a pretty gorgeous part of Laos. Um, I am not going to lie, I love Rio de Janeiro. I know the football is going on there right now if you're listening. <laughs> um, but it's just a, it was a place that my parents had been when they were much younger and they told me about Sugarloaf Mountain and, you know, the Jesus Christ statue up on the thing and Copacabana and Ipanema and I've sung those songs. And so when I was there for myself, I was just like, this is pretty special. It's a bit dangerous, but adventurous and just an amazing city. Um, actually, Barcelona, I'm not going to lie why I'm here. Spain is, is also one of my top three countries, so Brazil, Laos, and Spain. And Barcelona just has it all. You know, it has the culture, the history, the beaches, the architecture, um, the just the crazy Spanish energy. And so I really appreciate this city as well. And oh, there's so many good places around the world. Amsterdam has a special place in my heart too because I adore biking and I just think they've got a really good attitude there and it's just a beautiful beautiful city how about some of the activities that you've done because if you go on the suitcaseentrepreneur.com and you read your about page I mean you just have picture after picture of all these great adventures that you've done tell us about some of the coolest <laughs> like sexiest adventures that you've had Ooh, coolest and sexiest um well obviously I've alluded to the the big tour de Afrique so biking six and a half thousand kilometers that was definitely a crazy challenge in 2012 had never ever done anything like that wasn't even really a big cyclist and um, got to see the big five um you know elephants crossing our paths crazy pictures of beautiful lions zebra leopards and also got an extremely sore butt uh <laughs> traveling that whole time pushed myself mentally more than i ever thought and physically and also it was a great learning lesson for me because I was offline for almost two months and I really was testing my business. Like, did I actually set it up as I said I would? Is this really location independent? Am I really free? So for me, and it did, it worked. Um, and there were some great learning lessons that came out of it. But that was a really great test for me in every single way. Um, I love playing ultimate frisbee, which is a real sport. And I'm off to play that in Portugal next week on the beach. So that's been a pretty 
crazy sexy adventure for me because wherever I travel in the world I try to play in all sorts of places so I played in the Philippines and um, I've played quite a lot in Brazil actually all over Europe they have great tournaments I've played at world championships in Prague in um, Perth and in other crazy places so it's been um, just a cool way to keep the adventure in there the spirit the community of the players a competitive sport keep you fit and take you to some pretty cool destinations and there's always great parties uh, and yeah, I guess another one that really stayed dearly in my heart, and this I still was working in the corporate world then, was when I went dragon boating across the English Channel and broke a world record. And we had the future Queen of England, Kate Middleton, join us for a while, which was really actually just a media activity. She came along for four trainings and a super lovely lady, but she helped us raise tons of money for charities and it also helped her image as well. So it was quite unique, um, unique time to be experiencing that. I want to kind of hone in on that time that you had said where you know, you were kind of offline for two months and you were really mm -hmm. testing how your business worked and could it really exist without you or, you know, could it really exist and be working without you? Everyone, I'm sure, is thinking like, okay, seriously, like, are you really doing this all on your own? Can you talk a little bit about what components actually make your online business work? Like, do you have people that are doing certain things for you? Are there certain systems that you're using that make things automated? Can you talk a little bit about that whole setup? Yeah, definitely. Um, so a great reason why I was able to go off to Africa was one, I had good systems in place. Two, I used tools that were somewhat automated, but I just, I was using tools effectively. I pre-scheduled all my blog posts. I was very organized, I guess. Like it really, I chunked down and put two months worth of work into a couple of weeks and made sure it would all go as planned. And with an online business, when you're selling digital products and programs, that stuff just goes on in the background without really you needing to help it aside from marketing. So that that I knew would go smoothly. My coaching clients that I had at the time, I just told them I'm going off for two months, so we'll resume in May. And they were totally fine about that because I gave them loads of time. But it also forced me to hire a virtual assistant. So that was my first hire um, in February 2012. First person I hired on my team, I found them through Odesk and um, great online community of freelancers. And I basically trained her up in two weeks and said, here are the key things to look out for. I'm going to be offline. If anything goes wrong, here are some, you know, measures that you can take. But outside of that, I'm just trusting you with these elements of my business. The rest is kind of there. And honestly, my business wasn't full on then. It wasn't huge. And so it was just a, a great time to test it. Um, since then, I've gone on to hire. I actually have two virtual assistants now. I have an online freedom manager, as I like to call her. So she does um, some of the content with me now. So I will literally publish, I will record a podcast. I'll hand it off to my podcast editor. He will edit it. Sabrina will do the write-up, listen back over it, um, format the blog post, the images, etc., and publish it. So I'm pretty much done once I've done the interview, which is not how it used to be. Um, same with my videos. I'll shoot all my videos and location in one city and try and get through 12 or 14 videos answering people's questions. And then I'll hand them over to my video editor. I'll give him a write-up and then he will pretty much, you know, edit it as such. And Sabrina will do the write-up and publish it. And so we're getting really great systems whereby I've basically learned how to relinquish control and also how to delegate the stuff that really is not the best use of my time. Natalie, I really want to bring this conversation to a close by asking you, what are you most excited about right now? And what what's coming up for you? 
Ooh, um, I'm most excited about the fact that I finally have the missing piece to my portfolio of offerings to my audience and community. Um, I'm creating a pilot program called the Freedom Plan, and it's a culmination of everything that I've put together over the last four years. So in terms of excitement, I'm just... It just feels like it's, as I said, the missing piece and the reaction that I've had from the few people that I've talked about it to and the uptake already for something that I haven't even created is blowing my mind. And I think that's lovely to get to that place after four years in business and go, right, I finally hit the nail on the head with this. Like this is what people have been asking me for. This is the right fit. This aligns with my vision. This feels great. And I know it's going to deliver incredible results and make an impact. So that's what I'm excited about. That's taking up the rest of my year in terms of launches. Um, and then I'm excited about um, holding my retreat in Waiheke and going home um, around Christmas time and in December because it's a beautiful part of the world. It's paradise. It's a place where I get to reconnect with my family. And I'm also really excited to bring over about eight to 10 people to experience it with me in a retreat. So those are good things. How cool. Well, Natalie, I, I can't tell you thank you enough for being here and for sharing your story and, you know, really taking us on a lot of those ups and downs, a lot of the really, really great lessons and experiences that you've had. And uh, and I just I, I really honor you for all the great things that you've been able to accomplish. And, and thank you so much for sharing them here with us today. Thank you so much and for the excellent questions <laughs> and the insight <laughs> as well. more about Natalie's freedom plan or just find out more about Natalie and her awesome suitcase entrepreneur business and podcast go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash <laughs> that would be forward slash 62 if I had to sit here and give you all of the takeaways I got from that conversation we would be here for a whole nother hour but <laughs> probably the best um one of the best things that I got from her was just to a if you have a product that you want to launch or you see a need in the marketplace pre-sell it and get it out there get the word out market it and then go build it see if there are people who are truly actually interested in it and um, that is so amazing really good piece of advice and I really love how she talked about how you kind of have to just start and, you know, you can't expect at the very front end to have all of your products built out and have this incredible array of offerings available and systems everywhere. Like you just really have to start and let it be a, a really uncomfortable, ugly webinar where you actually just sell one person <laughs> and do that and let it progress and let it evolve. So I really appreciated that. Natalie was amazing. I highly recommend you go listen to her podcast the Suitcase Entrepreneur, she does phenomenal interviews and, um, and, and has people with great insights. So definitely go take a, a listen to that one. If you're loving these stories and loving this podcast, I would so sincerely appreciate a rating in iTunes. It always just helps us get up in front of people who haven't yet found us. So thanks again for spending your time here with me today. I truly appreciate it. I will see you on the next episode. Okay, don't tell me that you haven't often thought of how awesome life would be if you could just up and travel anywhere you wanted at any given moment. And I love that Natalie shows a very realistic way on how to do that.
where are we traveling to next?